gather together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, the Schuster Herald Podcast, it's Superman, the Carousel Podcast, the Amateur Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast. The world's best podcast and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Lois and Lana are infected by a disease that even Superman may not be able to cure in this episode of Superman in the Bronze Age. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. Hello everyone, and welcome to the 87th episode of Superman in the Bronze Age. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and today we're going to take a look at one of those Bronze Age Superman tales that not only makes a nod to past continuity, but also allows our hero to show some emotion. But before we get into that, I want to mention that this episode is sponsored by InStock Trades. Be sure to follow InStock Trades on Twitter, and you will receive notices on Deals of the Week. Now that the holidays are around the corner, this is a great site to do some holiday shopping, and shipping is free for orders over $50. You can check them out at InStockTrades.com. Now, what do you say we catch up on some listener feedback? The last couple episodes were recorded a little bit ahead of time, so I didn't get a chance to respond to any emails. So, let's see what we've got. And we've got two. Seriously? Just, Just... Well, I guess that's better than when I used to get none. So I'm going to be happy with it. Yay, too. First up is an email from Russell Bragg, who comments on episode 85, which would have been Phantom Zone Part 1. And he writes, Hello again. Another stellar episode. Thank you, Russell. I forgot that I wanted to read the issue before listening, but I got so anxious to hear the episode, I forgot. But I read it when I got home from work that evening. I've already read issue 2, and I eagerly await Charlie's GeekCast to hear what you have to say. Why did you read issue two first, Russ? That's weird. Anyway, I liked issue one to learn more about the history of the Phantom Zone. I remembered the story of Quexel from reading my Tales of the Phantom Zone trade. Did the Charlie Queeskill just come from this series? I couldn't find any other reference to it. I never got to read this miniseries when it came out because I never saw it where I bought comics. I'm so glad that I have the trade paperback of it. Guess I'd better wrap up for now. I hope past Charlie enjoyed his vacation. Bye for now. P.S. I wanted to fill in the blanks for my last email. 
I found out from my mother how I am related to Ted Cassidy and Jimmy Stewart. Ted Cassidy's mother and my grandmother were cousins. My mom used to see Ted's mom sometimes when she went to Philippi, West Virginia, where Ted was raised, to visit my great-grandmother. I remember the story Mom has told about the first episode of The Addams Family. There was a big party of relatives gathered around the TV set to watch Ted as Lurch. A good time was had by all. As for Jimmy Stewart, my great-grandfather and his grandfather were cousins. So you see, in both cases, I'm only related by rumor. <laughs> it would have been nice to shake their hands. Bye. Alright, well thank you, Russell. Um... Okay, so you're very distant relatives. That's kind of cool. Cool. I like I like how on one side it's a grandmother and mother, and the other side it's a great grandfather and grandfather. It's interesting. Anyway, uh, yes, past Charlie did enjoy his vacation. We spent one week with my family in and around Atlanta, Georgia, for a quote unquote Niemeyer Palooza. And then uh, where I also got a chance to meet with Michael Bailey, he of so many podcasts, I probably don't even need to list any of them. And then we spent a week down in Orlando, Florida, well, actually, Kissimmee, Florida, uh, with my wife's family uh, at Disney World, where we spent the week going there. Uh, I did get to see some of my family while I was there, because I have some that live on the coast, and I got to meet Scott Gardner from Two True Freaks. So it it was a, it's a small world. I tried to meet John Wilson, who I podcast with on Starman Observatory, as well as I've been on his show, Golden Age Superman. He's been on my show. Uh, I was a regular recurring guest on the new 52 Adventures of Superman. Uh, so he and I are good buddies. Unfortunately, it just didn't work out between schedules and the fact a lack of rides. Uh, moving on to what you asked me here. Yes, Charlie Kreskel's name did come from this miniseries. He, in fact, I believe his whole secret identity and everything was set up here. And the whole working at the Daily Planet and everything. So that's why you never saw it in your stuff. Um, but I'm glad you've got the trade too. It's really weird that you read up issue one first, but you know, whatever. Um, so thank you for writing in Russell. Next up, we have the other email f from Russell Bragg. Hmm. Thanks, Russell. He writes, Hello, great episode as always. And this is on episode 86, which would be Phantom Zone Part 3. This will probably, probably be short since I didn't get to take my usual notes while listening. I was cooking dinner as I followed episode 86. I can't add much, but I agree with you. Why would General Zod's master, master plan be to put Earth in the Phantom Zone? In the Pocket Universe story, they just killed everyone. Wouldn't that get under Superman's skin more? Truly enjoyed J. David Weider's portion of the show. I'm sad to see the Superboy segments go. That's how it sounded anyway. But I do enjoy the storyline he, he is covering. On to the final issue of Phantom Zone. I've read it, so I'm ready whenever you are. Peace. Well, thank you again, Russell. Yes, the Superboy segments are going away, but Dave is not. There are plans for him to do something else next year. He's not leaving. Don't worry. But that's it. So <laughs> thanks, Russell, for both of those emails. Yay. And uh, after a couple of promos, we'll get right into the issue. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, 
searching for justice. Blind justice. A guardian devil. <coughs> no, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's it's my Daredevil. You get it. You get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? Oh my god, I'm J. David Weeder. I haven't podcasted for 36 hours. I need to make a podcast. I have to do this. Maybe something Golden Age. I need a partner. Golden Age, podcast obsessed. Got it. John's John's Toilets and Toiletries. John, we need to make a new podcast. A new podcast? I haven't podcasted in a whole day. I need a new podcast. Well, I've been listening to a lot of David Bowie lately. Let's do Starman and his Golden Age adventures. Ooh, who who was the artist on Starman? What's that Jack Burnley? Yes, we should cover Jack Burnley's run on Adventure Comics and Starman. Okay, I have just the perfect guy because I know another guy who loves Jack Burnley. So let me call Charlie Niemeyer and see if we can get him on a three-way here. Hi, what's up? Charlie. Charlie. Ah. We need you to do a limited series podcast monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. Are you available? Uh, monthly? Well, Starman, that's Jack Burnley, right? Oh, heck yes, I'm available. This podcast is Go. The Starman Observatory, covering Starman's Golden Age adventures. Monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. All right, Superman number 362 had a cover date of August 1981 with an on-sale date of May 7th, 1981 and a cover price of 50 cents. No idea how much it was in the UK because that wasn't on the cover. Uh, The Last Days of Lois and Lana is the title, written by Carrie Bates, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Frank Chiavante, lettered by John Costanza, colored by Adrian Roy, and edited by Julius Schwartz. And, of course, Superman is created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Outside of a museum in Metropolis, Superman flies in from some unknown mission, I'm assuming, without an excuse as to why Clark is late for, for a news taping. Fortunately, he's not worried because waiting for him are Lois Lane and Lana Lang. Currently inside the museum, admiring the items that Lana's father discovered in a 16th century glass factory hidden beneath the canals in Venice. When Clark arrives, the girls waste no time in coming up with some lame excuses, allowing Clark to casually brush them off and get ready for the taping. But while Lana is checking out one particular vial, one of the Clegg lights, which is the big bright lights that they use when they're doing those filming shoots, it overloads and pops, causing Lana to drop the vial, which crashes to the floor. This releases some kind of a vapor that makes all three reporters feel tingly, and not the good way. Shocked, Clark uses his supervision to see that the microbes were even potent enough to seep through his Kryptonian skin. As Professor Lang and the museum curator return to the room, all attention is diverted to the vial, allowing Clark to spin at super speed and use his heat vision to vaporize every last microbe to prevent them from infecting anyone else. But the microbes do look a bit familiar to him. 
Giving Lana and her father some privacy, Lois and Clark are about to begin preparations, but he suddenly remembers where he's seen those microbes before, and makes an excuse of not feeling well to get out and change to Superman. A super-speed flight takes him to 321 Maple Street in Smallville, his childhood home. Inside, Clark remembers the Caribbean vacation he had arranged for the Kents shortly after his high school graduation. They had found part of a page from Peg Leg Morgan's diary from July 1717 stating that he was marooned on that particular island, but the part that explains why was missing. So that persuaded their super uh, so they persuaded their super son to take them back to 1717 to see history in action and afterwards took them back to the present. But the next day, both woke up with a really nasty fever. After Clark called the doctor, who himself called in a specialist, he's informed that they somehow contracted a rare tropical fever plague that had not claimed anyone in over a century. But it only affects adults, so Clark should be okay. Superboy tried remedies from all over Earth, but none would work. Not even a transfusion of his super blood was enough to save his adopted parents. Soon after their death, Clark went to a museum where he found the rest of Morgan's diary, which revealed that he had been marooned because he, too, had the fever plague. The reason Superman had this flashback is that the same fever plague has now infected Lois and Lana. While his super system has eliminated the disease, Lois and Lana will soon be sick. But Superman can't let it kill anyone else. At super speed, he takes off toward his fortress, but is so distracted that he doesn't realize he's flying through some mountains and oh wait, but is so distracted that he doesn't realize he's flying too low through some mountains, and his sonic boom causes an avalanche, which is heading toward a train. Using a wide-angle canopy of heat vision, he's able to save the train before continuing his journey. Several hundred miles north, he takes another detour to catch a skyjacker that has just parachuted out of an airliner and returns him to the plane to be arrested. Finally, he reaches the fortress, and while their young ages have slowed its effects in their systems, Superman learns that they only have about 72 hours before the disease becomes fatal. Superman then uses his supercomputer to try to find a cure for the plague, using both current Earth technology as well as the technologies from the most advanced alien worlds he has ever encountered. Unfortunately, it all comes back negative. After a quick telescopic check to see that both Lois and Lana are still showing no signs of the plague, Superman goes to a private chamber dedicated to the two women who have had the most profound effect on his life. In frustration, he starts punching his right fist into his left hand until the force from the punches causes the Lois and Lana statues in the room to crumble to the ground around his feet. And with that, he puts his head in his hands and cries. Now, I'm going to go wet my whistle, so here are a couple of promos to keep you busy. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. It was the dawn of the third age of comics, 15 years after the rise of the Comics Code Authority. The Bronze Age was a dream given form. Its goal? To portray superheroes in a way that was socially relevant by tackling real-world issues. It's a catch-all, a place to explore monsters, demons, gunslingers, gods, and superheroes alike. Writers and artists wrapped in house styles of sophisticated realism, creating the stuff of legends. There is no assurance of quality, but it's our last best hope for comic books. This is a retrospective of the true golden age. The year is 1970. The name of the podcast? Uncovering the Bronze Age. 
tune into our feed for regular content at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Also home to the Quarterbin Podcast and the Short Box Showcase. His name is Oliver Queen. For five years he was stranded on an island with only one goal. Podcast. I mean, survive. Now he will fulfill his father's dying wish and bring down those who are poisoning his city. My name is Reese Parton. And I am Lee Busby. I am Dean Hill. And my name is Central JF. And we are The Undertaking. Like most criminal organizations in comics nowadays, we have turned good and we plan to tackle one episode of the new season of Arrow each week. Join The Undertaking at theundertakingpodcast.podomatic.com or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Arrow The Undertaking. And also on iTunes. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Alright, some notes on this issue. Looking through on page one, Superman doesn't have a good excuse for why Clark's late, but as something similar to what we saw in the Superman Spectacular, Lois and Lana are almost eager to come up with some good excuses for him, in which he can just kind of wave them off, but like, whatever, let's just get working. So that's pretty nifty. Page four. Um, so, if this disease is on the stuff that he brought back, granted it could just be in this one vial, but the outside of the vial should have the infection on it too. Technically, that infection should have spread to everything else in this special place that Professor Lang discovered, so how is he and his crew not not infected by the same virus? Page 9. It's only now that we're told that Lois and Lana were infected by the same fever plague. I guess technically you can kind of figure it out on your own, especially since you see on the cover that they're sick. But still, on a 17-page story, they wait until almost halfway through to actually tell you what's happening. So that's interesting. Page 12. This skyjacker would look really cool if he wasn't wearing a bright magenta skydiving suit. Uh, page 13. In real life, I don't think they'd open the plane door that high up, and if they did, I think it would be extremely dangerous. Because you're... I mean, the the speed you'd be flying, you'd get... I don't remember if they proved that this happens or not, but still, you, you could easily get sucked out. So, yeah. Uh, let's see. Plus, it messes with the pressure in the cabin, so, that's, so it's not really safe at all. Page 15. All this amazing technological equipment from Krypton, no less. And the computer screen still uses early 1980 graphics. I mean, in one room, he's able to recreate a three-dimensional image of the microbe. And then when he goes in here to do the thing with, uh, to look at Lois and Lana on the screen, it looks like 1980s computer. It's just kind of weird. Uh, page 7, well, I guess it's like uh, Batman the Animated Series. you got all these nice computers, but black and white TVs, maybe that. I don't know. I don't think they were going for that, though, in the comic. Page 17, I love the symbolism here. As both Lois and Lana's statues basically die. Granted, in this case, it's because of Superman, but, you know, it's like they're just, everything's falling apart around him. It's kind of a cool symbolism there. Overall, I 
Okay, first of all, I want to say that the art here was beautiful. Swan's really able to convey Superman's emotions, especially in the faces. Uh, there's no muddiness, for the most part. Uh, um, you know, like in, like I noticed in Phantom Zone, but different artist, different style, different inker. Uh, Superman looks sad and frustrated for most of the issue, which is pretty much how just about anyone would feel in a similar situation. He doesn't smile at all after the first couple pages. Uh, also, the story is quite interesting. I mean, how often have we seen Superman in a situation this hopeless before? Even post-crisis. I mean, to me, this is a very different issue than what we're used to, even though the creative team is pretty much the same as most of the other stories from this era. So, I just have to say, really well done. Well, that's my notes. Uh, after a couple more promos, we'll take a look at Elsewhere in the DC Multiverse. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who, I don't care for anime, I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I have been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called Views from the Long Lost. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series, or issue, or character, or whatever to talk about, and then I... Well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, The Irredeemable Shag, or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.viewsfromalongbox.com from there you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Long Box. A podcast about comics, or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life, at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man of steel and more supermanhomepage.com we now return to superman and the bronze age all right other comics that were released by dc in august of 1981 or with an august of 1981 cover date first up we have action comics number 522 where superman has to deal with the clockwork man uh, dial h for hero takes over Adventure Comics number 484 in two different stories in that issue. 
but the cover on that is by Lynn. Is no, Lynn Ween's the editor. The cover is by George Perez, so that's kind of cool. Batman number three eighty. I'm sorry, three thirty eight has Batman going up against a hockey player. But there's a Robin backup story, so that's kind of cool. Best of DC Digest number 15 reprints several Superboy stories from earlier, uh, basically uh, Silver Age and before. Batman number 177 has Batman teaming up with the Elongated Man. Uh, DC Comics Presents number 36 has Superman teaming up with Starman versus Mongol the Merciless. Uh, I should point out, though, that this is not the Starman that you would imagine. It's not the Golden Age Starman. It's not the post-crisis Starman. This is the Starman... I don't know how to explain it. Uh, it's the early 80s Starman. He's from another planet. He's basically an alien. Uh, let's just say he got used so little after this that we he's not seen again until Crisis on Infinite Earths number 10 which is about five years away from when this issue was be was printed, so yeah. But it's Jim Starlin on art, so that's pretty cool. Uh, let's see, moving right along. DC Special Blue Ribbon Digest number 12 is about the haunted tank, collecting a bunch of those stories. Detective Comics number 505 has Batman going up against a werewolf while Batgirl deals with the hunchback killer. And that's got a pretty nice little Rich Buckler cover. Flash number 300 has the Flash up against uh, a purple beast thing that looks like the beast from the X-Men, but also goes up against, uh, at least on the cover, we see Captain Cold and uh, Mirror Master. It's the 25th anniversary issue of The Flash, a double-sized spectacular. And the title... 1981, a Flash Odyssey. I see what they did there. It's 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 what they did there. Uh, let's see, moving right along. Green Lantern number 143 has a story where some aliens want to remove his power ring, but they can't, so they're threatening to remove his entire hand in a cover by George Perez. And there's a backup story for, of Adam Strange, the outlaw from Ron. Or Ran, or however you want to say it. Although this says this is part of a, the Omega Men saga, so I'm not sure exactly how that works. But that's what it says on the cover. Anyway, anyway um, Justice League number 193, The Secret of Genesis. This is the ultimate origin of the Red Tornado revealed in this issue. Plus, uh, let's see, what is this? A preview of All-Star Squadron number zero, basically, by Roy Thomas, Rich Buckler, Dick Giordano, as well as Jerry Ordway inking. Uh, basically, it's a pre preamble to the actual issue, you know, of the factual first issue of All-Star Squadron, which is really cool. I used to have this issue. I believe I got it signed by George Perez. Thank you very much. 
I sold it to someone, but it wasn't a personalized thing, so it's alright. Uh, Legion of Superheroes number 278. Uh, looks like they're dealing with a tragedy at the top of the world. Uh, let's see, and st New Adventures of Superboy number 20. Superboy's been kidnapped and is taken to another planet. And in a backup feature, a younger Superboy is captive on the of a red sun planet. New Teen Titans number 10. The Terminator is back, and boy is he mad. And we've got the another George Perez cover, with the Legion basically standing on a target, almost completely in a circle, with what looks to be some kind of large missile heading straight for them. And they're not moving. But they all have their mouths open. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Super Friends number 47, uh, Demons from the Green Hell, which is interesting considering they probably wouldn't have been able to see that, say that word on TV, but uh, basically, yes, it's your, your, your regular everyday Super Friends, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and Robin, along with the Wonder Twins and Gleek, and they meet up with the Green Fury. Who appears to be a hero. I'm not sure. Superman Family number 209 is now monthly. Several stories are in this issue. Supergirl deals with three strikes, or strike three, you're out. Uh, Superman and Lois are in a story dealing with George Taylor's last scoop. Which may actually be the one in which Clark becomes the editor-in-chief of the Daily Star. But I'm not sure. Uh, Superman, it says Superman, but I'm guessing this is the private life of Clark Kent, uh, is in the bus bust. Lois Lane hides in plain fright, and Jimmy Olsen learns never to take candy from a stranger. Never want to do that. Wonder Woman battles the demon, while the Huntress takes on the Joker. And in World's Finest... Looks like Metallo takes on Superman and Batman. And there's also some extra stories starring Green Arrow, Hawkman, Red Tornado, and Captain Shazam Marvel. Or Shazam, as it were. And that's it. Now, I should point out, this issue also saw the debut of a new backup series called Superman The In-Between Years. And that was started up to explore Clark's college years, but I'm not going to cover that. Me, but I'm not going to cover that here because it would kind of be confusing with what Dave's covering in his Superboy backup. So, and, and it's by pretty much the same creative team, except, you know, they added Kurt Swan in for art. So I'm going to leave that alone, and I'm just going to let Dave take it away with uh, the next chapter of Superman The Secret Years. Dave? The Adventures of Superboy. Exciting stories of Superman when he was a boy, who, even as an infant, demonstrated powers and abilities far beyond the capabilities of Earthlings. Superboy, who, as Clark Kent, mild-mannered foster son of Martha and Jonathan Kent, preserves the secret of his true identity and devotes his superpowers to the prevention of crime, the preservation of peace, and the pursuit of truth. Welcome back. It's time once again for another installment of Superboy in the Bronze Age, continuing the farewell tour of Superman's adventures as a boy. This time out, we leave the pages of Superboy and jump into the four-issue miniseries Superman The Secret Years, written by Bob Rosakis, with art by Kurt Swan and Kurt Schaffenberger. 
Now, the story we saw last week, which began in issue 51 and then abruptly ended, gets picked up and ran with in a big way as Clark Kent makes his way through college the only way he knows how. Cue Dukes a Hazard theme right there. And the thing that always grabbed me about the cover to the first issue, which we're going to be looking at, was the cover by Frank Miller. Uh, his covers were so far left field of what we were used to, because, I mean, look at issue one. It depicts Superman flying at the reader with a blood red sky in the background and some fighter jets accompanying the Man of Steel. The series stood out more so because the traditional arched Superman font isn't used in favor of a more squared off Batman style trade dress. And I think it looks sharp. I dig it a lot, actually. It's very dramatic and it makes the book look like something new and different until you open the first page and then you have the Kurt Swan art and the Schaffenberger art. And then it feels, well, right at home. The Miller cover with its scritchy scratchy style is the only thing about the comic that feels modern or progressive. However, let's look at the story itself, which is why we're here, and let's take a journey with young Clark into becoming Superman. And the story opens with Lex Luthor breaking out of a boy's home via a pair of springy shoes and the call going out to Superboy. But Superboy is flying in the air, helping a jetliner that has strayed into unfriendly territory and now has two fighter jets bearing down on it. Superboy is stunned to see his closest friends from Metropolis University are on the plane and even more shocked when the plane is shot down by one of the fighter jets. Superboy chases down the fighter jets to find Jonathan and Martha Kent are piloting them and they rip off the familiar S symbol from his chest and tell him he does not deserve to wear it. As Clark pleads with his adoptive parents, he awakens from the nightmare back at his dorm at Metropolis University and man was that an intense nightmare. I mean, Luthor's escape is pretty much par for the course right down to the silly bouncing shoes. But this dream sequence actually ropes you in. And it's thanks to the transition of the warden of the boys' home calling for a message to Superboy. I mean, for a few pages, it seems like a normal day of saving planes, with no real indicator that anything's going on, until Ma Kent shows up in a fighter plane. Because, well, the first tip-off is that everybody you know, they die. There is that. But still, with the exception of Lana being on board, nobody is safe in terms of the college year's supporting cast. It's good to know that Clark still feels some pangs of regret when it comes to his parents' deaths at the hands of a virus, and that his perceived failure in saving them still weighs on his mind, and that's kind of a big theme for this issue, and the story as a whole. And as the story progresses, we learn from Clark's hard-drinking roommate, Ducky, that this is the beginning of Clark's junior year, so this regret has kind of had time to gestate and swell for a bit for Clark. Also, we should mention Ducky and the fact that he has been hitting the beer constantly because it will be important later. But that is after Superboy investigates Luthor's escape and comes up empty-handed and gets a visit to the dorm from a fellow Smallville alum named Billy Kramer. More on that in a moment. After that, Superboy catches Ducky doing some drunk driving and takes him for an aerial car ride to scare him straight, and Ducky says that it works and he'll never drive drunk again and then asks Superboy if he wants a beer. Two things hit me here. One is, I know what's going to happen to Ducky immediately and that Superboy is probably of legal drinking age. Those two things have hit me because, yeah, I've read this before. But looking at Ducky, I didn't need to read it. The first time that I took a look at this issue, it was plain to me what Ducky's path would be with a few variables. It's telegraphed from the first time we see Ducky drinking to get over being dumped and then getting behind the wheel of a car while blasted. As for the legal drinking age, the second thing I noticed, the one big frustration that I always had with the live-action Superboy TV show was that they started in college and then progressed from there. So we had Gerard Christopher, who was clearly a full-grown adult in these later seasons, and he was still calling himself Superboy. It seemed unnatural to me. It was a bit creepy. Because, I mean, if Stacey Hayduke was calling me Superboy in my late 20s, that could kind of, that could be fun. You know, as long as it was Stacey Hayduke, you know, I'll withdraw that. 
But in all seriousness, after the talk with Ducky, Clark is once again accosted by Billy Kramer. Stalker much? Billy will be important in later issues. Earmark that guy. Not only did he allow Clark to tell us that Lana transferred out of Metropolis University, he also seems to want to tell Clark something. Like a secret. Yeah, it will pay off. Part of how is telegraphed, but Razakis has some twists in turn for little Billy, I'll be honest with you. And then we get Clark shaming a bully named Steve Powers in a football game, which is more notable because Clark is a cheerleader for the interdorm game, which actually sets up a nice bit of synchronicity with an earlier story of young Clark. Clark does capture Luthor, who is stealing money from a bank via a computer, which is crazy, right? Well, that kind of thing never happens. What well, was it? It hadn't happened at the time. That was a new concept, which is kind of a little bit of the progressive nature of this story. This time, though, Luthor is 21 when Superboy catches him. So he doesn't go back to the boys' home. It's off to prison for little Lexi-poo, but we all know he'll be back. Then Billy brings his parents by the dorm to introduce them to Clark because his letters are just full of the fun things they do together. Except, in the real world, they haven't hung out at all. Clark takes it in stride and plays along, which is not what I would do because he's Superman. That's what he does. He's a good guy. I would have told the guy's parents that the dude is a stalker and he needs help. I mean, just make sure your curtains are closed, Clark, because Billy Kramer watches you sleep, Clark. He's watching you. He's climbing up in your windows. Anyway, feeling nostalgic, Superboy visits the grave of his parents and then flies back in time as a phantom to observe a family dinner. So wait, 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 wait. Is Superboy stalking himself now? I mean, there's a huge stalking subtext to this whole issue. I don't think it's just me. I think... I think, uh... I think I need an adult. But before I close my blinds and curl up in the fetal position, I need to finish this story, which ends with Superboy finding that Ducky has had a horrific car accident while drunk. See, it's telegraphed, but it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It's not meant to be an M. Night Shyamalan twist. Just the progression of the story. And while I make jokes about stalking, the real theme is fear of failure. More accurately, Superboy's insecurity. Now, a more seasoned Superman has been around the block. He's accepted that there are things that even he can't stop, that even he can't fight. But now we're seeing the actual trip around the block. And if you're thinking that he had a career as Superboy already, I know, I thought that too. But let me give you some perspective. Superboy, where we're at now, does not have the safety net of Smallville. He doesn't have his parents. He doesn't have that support system. Even Lana. There's nothing familiar from that time. He's He's on his own in the real world, in the big city of Metropolis. It's a whole new phase. It's a bigger stage, bigger scale. The stakes are higher. And the reason that he is still Superboy in his 20s is simply this. He's not ready to fully embrace the role of the world's hero. And the thing is, Rizakas gives us that to chew on, but he doesn't serve it up on a plate and cram it down our throats. It's definitely there. It's on the plate. It's on the table. But everything else in this issue fades away in light of that, and not because because it's a, a flaw in the writing, but because it is served up, and it is the biggest think piece of this issue. And the best part is that this place where Clark is emotionally seems organic to the story. It's not forced or overused. It's a nice, if somewhat predictable, issue that packs a lot of emotional weight into it. And it snowballs from here. So speaking of that, next time, what is up with Billy Kramer? Is Ducky a dead duck? Will Clark overcome his insecurities and become Superman? And what will become of this segment in 2014? Find out next time. Until then, I am J. David Weeder, handing it back to Charlie.
And that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you, Dave. Uh, next time, we're going to have the final part of this story. Can Superman save Lois and Lana from this terrible disease, or will Superman find a way to save them? This is a Superman comic. What do you think is going to happen? You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weir. Show notes can be found at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com, as well as links to the RSS and iTunes feeds and more. You can also find the show on Stitcher Smart Radio, as well as Facebook, where you can get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of both the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and the Comics Podcast Network at www.comicspodcasts.com. Please make sure to check out both sites for more great podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you so much for listening and God bless. Listen to our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Blackberry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio.